0: Welcome, you're listening to a
1: sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California.
0: Well, if I could have you stand today for our scripture reading, much of what Jeremiah was talking about is related to what we're going to chat a bit about today. So our scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, We're going to read verses 12 through 14 and then verse 27. The reality is, is verses 12 through about verse 31 is really what we're trying to encompass in all of this. There's so much helpful uh, insight Paul gives about the church, about a local congregation and about the big C church and what God's up to in it and what each individual's part is in the church. So I'm not going to read it all. We get the essence of it in the verses I said we'll read, but it may be worth looking at later on just to further drive home the point. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And I want to encourage you to just kind of get into a a space of worship. And I know it could be a little chilly. I have just realized there's two heaters blasting on me. I would love to give them to you, but I'm glad I can't because it does feel a little bit good. But I'd like you to get into a space just of receptivity, a space of worship. So much of what Jeremiah said is so meaningful. So much of what Paul's emphasizing in this passage is timely and important for us to think about. And so much of our life together as a church is about what is God saying and how are we responding? So let's take a moment and just... Worship Him together.
1: This is a new song. It's called Yours, and I'm gonna lead us through the chorus and the bridge. And we'll uh, sing it fully a little bit later. But right now, let's just uh, take some time to learn this song. Raining to
0: Thanks, Jordan. In this passage we read a second ago, Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ. That phrase is going to come up a lot as we chat about this a bit today. This is one of his favorite ways to depict the church in the world. Now you, that is, all you who are reading or hearing this, who are in Christ, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. There's such a hands-on imagery here, such hands-on depiction. Paul is saying the church, or the fancy Greek word is ekklesia, literally the called out ones, the people of God. You are the body of Christ in the world, the tangible expression of Jesus Christ in this world. With him resurrected and ascended to the Father, you The church, the people of God, are now the tangible expression of the risen Christ in this world. And each individual Christian, he says, is part of this greater whole called the church. And as Paul elaborates throughout 1 Corinthians 12 and in other places, when he says you are a part, he means an important part. He means an indispensable part part. And so each individual, and for our purposes today, each of us, whether here or online, each of us is essential to the greater whole known as the church, and in our case, known as Oak Hills Church. Each one of us, the apostle is saying, is essential, an essential part, an indispensable part to this local community of faith called Oak Hills Church. Now, here's the thing. I would contend a very small percentage of us actually believe this. A very small percentage of us actually believe that we matter in any real way to this local church called Oak Hills, or that we matter in any real way to the Big C Church uh, of God, in spite of the fact that the Apostle Paul here in other places says, You local church and each part individual are indispensable to the church. And he says, In other spots we didn't read, the weaker parts, the ones that think they don't matter, are actually the ones that matter the most. I would contend very few of us here or online actually believe this. I've stood in front of you many, many times. Usually it's a lot warmer than it is right now, but I've stood in front of you many times and I've tried to paint a picture of the beauty of the local church. And maybe because the past eight months the world has changed so drastically, or maybe because I have watched scores of people over the years participate in the life of the church, but then months or years later lose interest or motivation and gradually disengage. Or maybe I've been doing pastoral work for so long, I have just run out of motivational speeches about the importance of the church. I'm not sure all of the reasons. But today, while I believe in the importance of the local church more than ever before, I have zero desire to sit or stand here today and try and persuade anyone of the importance of being connected into the life of a local church. As Jordan said, this is our last week of our series called Conversions. We've been talking about these areas where Christians need growth, where we need the Holy Spirit to renew and transform us. And today we're talking about being converted from merely being associated with the church to being connected into the life of a church. So two qualifiers, before I get into what I wanna say today. The first qualifier is this, people obviously have the freedom to do what they want with the local church. And as I said, I have no interest and trying to persuade anyone to do anything other than what they want to do. And so hear me throughout this whole thing. I'm very open-handed with this. I really am not trying to sell or convince. The second qualifier is this. Oak Hills is but one church amongst many, in this town. The Church of Folsom, as we might call it, is comprised of a number of local congregations and of many others in the surrounding areas where we live. And I would rather that you were connected into the life of another church than just be associated with this church. And I hope that makes sense. I hope you don't hear that as, you know, either get with it or get out of here. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, I would rather that you'd be connected, grafted in, might be a more biblical phrase, grafted into the life of another church, than to just simply be associated with this church. So today's not a sales pitch for Oak Hills, but rather, hopefully, an encouragement to connect in a local church, whatever that local church's name might be. There's an ongoing debate and discussion these days, and it's picked up steam in these days of COVID about the role of church in today's North American culture, discussion and debate going on about the church's relevance in today's culture, whether the church actually matters or whether it makes any difference, whether church is even necessary for spiritual growth, whether it even has any connection with spiritual growth, or in some cases, people would vigorously argue that because of the sickness of the local church, it's actually a hindrance to authentic spiritual growth. So this is going on in all sorts of circles. Professional firms who survey these things regularly send out updates about the fading interest in church by Christians and non-Christians. And these surveys, I receive them all the time. These surveys project up to 30 to 40% of those who were part of a local congregation before COVID will not return after COVID. And I find myself in conversations about these kinds of things all the time. And I believe more than ever that passages like we read a moment ago from 1 Corinthians 12 establish the importance and the beauty of the church and of its local expressions In places like the city of Corinth and in the city of Folsom, I believe more than ever, connection in the life of a local church is essential to experience the reality of Christ and of his kingdom. I know that that rattles some people, and there are likely people online. I can see their faces, maybe even here, shaking their head. No, that's not. What about this? But I believe more than ever that connection in the life of a local church is essential to experience the reality of Christ and the reality of his kingdom. Something transformative happens in the messy, complicated, and imperfect setting of a local congregation. Christ is formed in us. Self dies in us. We learn how to not get what we want in a church. Hopefully we find some encouragement, we find some hope, but we all know we also find fickle, and we find ugly, and we find politicized faith, and we find judgmental hypocrisy. And we find people and pastors long on words, short on action. And we find a bunch of other junk. But God is somehow at work in the whole deal in some way. So today, rather quickly, I want to offer three perspectives on the nature of the Christian experience that's reflected in 1 Corinthians 12. And the first perspective is that this Christian experience is a we thing, W e. The Bible is God's word to a people, to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament and to communities of faith located in different cities and in different areas in the New Testament. In the Bible, when we see the word you, Y-O-U, it is rarely singular. It rarely refers to an individual, though we often read the Bible as though it was written to individuals. The U in the Bible, Y O U, is usually plural. And it refers to a group of people. Now, obviously, the Bible has things to say to individuals, but the Bible was written to groups. The church in the city of Galatia, the church in the city of Corinth, the church in the city of Philippi, the people of Israel, etc. Scholar N.T. Wright, in a book called Simply Christian, wrote these rather provocative and Uh, annoying words. You can find these in your app if you want to follow along. He wrote, it is as impossible, unnecessary, and undesirable to be a Christian all by yourself as it is to be a newborn baby all by yourself. The church is first and foremost a community, a collection of people who belong to one another because they belong to God, the God we know in and through Jesus. So the Christian faith is communal. It's a we thing. Individual Christians are interconnected and interdependent and interlocking. If I didn't have this microphone, I would interlock my hand and you would kind of get a sense of we're tied together. Or as Paul says to the church in Corinth, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. This is a local congregation he's writing to a congregation of people in a city, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So this privatized faith thing, this, well, it's just me and God, I like to keep that to myself kind of a thing is thoroughly a human invention because God intends for us to journey with others, to worship with others, to pray with others, to celebrate the Lord's table with others, to serve with others. This chorus Jordan just led us in, I've sat in my backyard with that very chorus playing on my music thing by myself and worshiped God to that chorus. And I've done it dozens of times to that chorus and it's never come close to touching what just happened in those three minutes. Doing that with you together. It's the nature of the thing. It's a we thing. Now think about all this as it collides with the prevailing spirit of North American culture where me is often the priority, not we. See, we're trained to think of self first. We filter things through the grid of self. It goes like this. Do I like this? Do I want this? Does this do anything for me? Does this fit into my schedule? In Ephesians chapter four, the apostle Paul elaborates on the church as Christ's body using that same imagery and depiction of the body of Christ. He says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So like a flood, Paul's vision of the church body sweeps away the priority of the self. And he says our journey as a church is toward becoming a mature body of Christ. This is unbelievably important for us as a people. We don't have to go hunting around to figure out what are we supposed to be about as a local congregation. It's right here. We're supposed to be about becoming mature as a people, as a congregation. That is reflecting the beauty of Jesus Christ through our communal life together, and each part taking this right out of the scripture, each individual has a role to play in the maturation of this local body of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but that that does something to me. I hope it does something to you. So let me say it so that it hits more personally. You have a role to play in the maturation of Oak Hills Church. You have a role to play In our adventure at becoming a mature body of Christ. Jeremiah Renfro played a role in this little sliver of our life together earlier today to help us become mature. You have a role to play in the maturation of this body. So people sometimes think, or they'll say things like this, quote, I don't need the church to follow God. I think Paul might reply, But the church needs you so it can follow God. It's a we thing. Secondly, it's a family thing. All over the New Testament, Christians are called brothers and sisters. So again, think about this one sliver of our life together as a congregation, meaning this part, online or here, this Sunday thing. It's just one sliver of our life together. And in this piece, here's what's happening. The children of God come together as brothers and sisters to worship the Father and feast at his table. All this language of family. Now, family is an ambitious description of those who are in a local church together, but are completely different from each other in all sorts of significant ways. I mean, who calls people a family that don't look the same, that don't vote the same, that don't think the same, that aren't the same age, etc., etc. There are Jews and Gentiles. There are slave and free, male and female, black and white, young and old, Republican and Democrat. Corinth was a cosmopolitan city with crazy levels of diversity. Think San Francisco. And Paul says, we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now to our ears, this may not sound like much, but when he says Jew and Gentile and slave and free, and then he links that up with this idea of one, Paul is turning the first centuries pecking order right on its head, upside down, because there were thick walls between Jews and Gentiles, and there were thick and high walls between people who were servants or slaves and those who were free. One was the haves, the Jews and the free, and one was the have-nots, the Gentiles and the servants or the slaves. First century Roman society and Corinthian society operated in a hierarchical system. But now, all of a sudden, because of Jesus, this brilliant thinker named Paul is saying Jews and Gentiles are brothers and sisters in Christ, and slave and free are now family. This is like Raider fans and 49er fans holding hands and skipping through the park on their way to a picnic. This is unheard of to think of this. See, in the first century to be brother and sister, it meant something. Family was unbreakable in the first century. It was everything connectedness, connected by blood, connected by name. Nothing could break the bond of family. And Paul, as he did throughout the New Testament, applies this bond to those who are in Christ in the various churches and says, You are now a family in Christ. Now, for us, this may be a cute idea, but Paul deals in reality. A new social reality now exists because of Jesus Christ, here's how it goes, Christ in you, Christ in me, and this makes you my brother. This makes you my sister. We're now connected to each other, actually connected, really connected in and through the living person Jesus, And so the church really is unlike any other group or club or company or organization or team, because what pulls us together and holds us together is the resurrected king of the universe. Obviously, it takes work to navigate our differences, to sort through all these conflicts. Jews and Gentiles get after each other once in a while, but the vision is we're a family. And you don't decide to just one day, well, I'm done. I'm no longer going to have uh, association with this family. Put it this way. We're like roped together. I'm not a climber, but I love this imagery. We're roped together. We're clipped to each other. Um, Like people climbing Mount Everest. You've seen these pictures. It's a blizzard. They all get these coats on. Can't even see them but they're clamped together, climbing Mount Everest. That's the church. We face the mountain. We climb it together in his power, in his presence, and we do it all together. The beauty of the church and the witness of the church in this fractured world then is not that it's perfect and neat and tidy and ideal it's none of that the beauty and the witness of the church is how we embrace and journey through our fractures our disagreements our conflicts our messiness listening and learning from each other sharpening each other clamped on the same rope together as we climb the various mount everests together so back to this verse Verse 13, we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. I want to stay on this phrase because it's so different for us. Whether, Paul says, Jews or Gentiles, one body. Whether slave or free, one body. Written to the church in Corinth. That little phrase, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, rolls easily off our tongue. Okay, that's cool. But this was a radical upending of the social hierarchy of the day. And everyone who heard these words... Realized instantly, wait. This is new, this is completely different. You got to get yourself into a space where you're in some room, it's the first century, they don't have heaters like this. You're in this room, and someone's reading this letter. We're all baptized by one spirit to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, there's Jews and Gentiles in the room, whether slave or free, there's slaves and there's free people in the room. We're all one body. See, in the first century, this picture, this depiction, this imagery of the body was a well-known and often used imagery and metaphor. It was used by those in power to suppress those who were not in power. So get outside the religious circles. This was a familiar imagery kind of went like this. Everyone has a part to play in the body. Some parts are more powerful and important than others, but we all have a part to play. This kind of elitist language was used to suppress political factions and uprisings that might arise from the lower rungs of the hierarchical ladder. You see where this is heading. The power brokers of the day would use the body metaphor to reinforce order in society. Those who are rich and powerful are the important parts of the body. And those who have little and are weak are the less important. So it would go like this. And we all need to fulfill our role so we preserve unity and order and avoid chaos and turmoil. So here comes Paul just shaking things up. The Christian idea of a family of unlikes, Jews and Gentiles, a family of difference, slave and free, was mind-boggling to their ears upside down countercultural why because all of a sudden in the first century women actually have value servants footwashing servants bring me my food all of a sudden they sit at the table with those they serve Jews and gentiles are now equal Slaves and free are equal. The poor have something the rich need. The old need the young. Social status fades. Power gets thoroughly redefined. And the mutuality of brother and sister in Christ emerges. Think of it like this. I am one part of a family of five. Julie and our three grown children. We all have the same last name. Julie and I made some vows and we got married. Then we had kids and we pledged to raise them and love them and journey with them. So here's the thing. I don't get to just do whatever I want to do in my family. This coming Thursday, this glorious Thursday that is coming. I don't get to wake up Thursday morning and announce, hey, there's a lot of work that goes into this today. And and I'm not really interested in being part of that. I kind of want to do my own thing today. Take a drive in the mountains maybe. Go for a little run. Really little run in my case. Ponder some deep things off on my own somewhere. I want to do that. So I'm going to leave. And when everything's ready and it's on the table, when it's nice and hot, and please do remember I prefer dark meat, Someone text me, and I'll come take my spot. And then when we're all finished and that turkey-tired thing starts kicking in, that strychnine or whatever they call that stuff, I know it's not that, but whatever it is, that's going to hit me at some point after, so I'm going to go take a nap. You guys deal with all this other stuff. And when I wake up, oh, please do remember, I prefer pumpkin over mince doesn't work like that. Why? Because I willingly surrendered the right to do whatever I want when I decided to be part of a family. Third thing, this whole Christian experience is a defiance. Those who want Christians in the church to take a stand against what they believe is government meddling through the establishment of protocols and curfews and closures, all intended to contain COVID, are fond these days of the word defiance. And the church is indeed a defiance thing. But defying COVID is, in my opinion. Not only unwise, but it's aiming way too low. It is, in my opinion, if you'll permit me, it's quasi-defiance. There's a lack of substance, in my opinion, in this defiance. It makes us feel better, maybe. It makes us feel like we're living by convictions. It might make us feel like we're standing up to the evil empire. But again, it's just my opinion. But I think it's misplaced defiance. But be sure the church is indeed a defiance thing. The local church is indeed a defiance thing because we are the body of the resurrected Christ on this earth. This is now our identity. Think about that. We are Jesus's body in the world and we are indeed to defy things like injustice and the oppression of the weak by manifesting justice in our life together. We are to defy division and fracture. It's all over the place in our world. We're to defy that by pursuing unity, Paul's word, oneness, no matter what it costs. We as a local church are to defy the chaos in this world, the uncertainty of the world, We are to defy this in part by gathering as the body of Jesus and proclaiming his kingship over the world. So we defy the chaos by worshiping Jesus Christ as Lord of all. That thing we did a few minutes ago that Jordan led us in, glory and power are yours. We worship you. Your name is great. That is an act of defiance that says above all the rest of this stuff, our allegiance is to him and he is in charge. We proclaim that worship is an act of defiance, a substantial act of defiance where we declare that Jesus is Lord of all. We defy as a local church, we defy the bombardment of messages and advertisements that seduce our idolatry all day long when we exalt the name of Jesus Christ above every other name. So the church is indeed a defiance thing. I'd like to ask you to close your eyes for a moment, and I want to pray. I realize sometimes these things get a tad carried away, perhaps. I could easily be accused of being overly idealistic. I'd rather think that I continue with increasing fervor to believe these things are true and to believe that actually our little local faith expression can be in hot pursuit of maturity as a faith community maturity in our body that we would continue as a church to grow up in christ that we'd continue to discern what does it mean When Katie Hazley walks into this gathering and there's a sister of mine, or Greg Rothenberg, is part of Oak Hills as my brother. Or Carl Padroni, who has poured out his soul for years and he's my brother and your brother. Or Lily Coggle who has manifested love, irresistible love that has wooed people to king jesus and she is mine and your sister what does all that mean it means more than just nice ideas there's something to it we're roped together we're family and as we learn how to do this to love to be Bursting out of this faith community comes the beauty of Jesus as his body in this world functions in a healthy way the majesty of Jesus shines through it's remarkably humble It's incredibly gentle It's magnificently welcoming of those who feel lost and hurting. It's shockingly forgiving. It pulsates with grace. It never gives up. It perseveres. It hangs in there. It loves, it welcomes, it forgives, it works through conflict. It loves those who are different. It makes room for those who are different. It wants those who are different. It turns toward those that the rest of society has tossed aside as not worth it and says, you are worth it. You're an indispensable part of the body of Christ in this world. My goodness. Lord Jesus Christ, we on this day, we continue to pray for your power and for your spirit to knit us together in these ways. I have no idea what it looks like or how to do it. And we pray that in our own individual journey, but most especially as a faith community that we would defy the gods of this world by declaring who the god of this world actually is we proclaim you in the midst of COVID, in the midst of whatever heartache in the midst of whatever joy we declare that you are king and we worship you as our king